0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries, Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu.
1: Coming up, dinosaurs, the art of throwing stuff around, and our burning questions answered. I'm Emma Choi, and this is everyone and their mom.
2: What does it
3: mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome to Everyone and Their Mom, a weekly show from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, I'm your host, Emma Choi. This is a show where we dig deeper into Wait Wait stories we love. It's a magical, chaotic world where anything can happen, and I'm talking anything. Each week I'll be joined by a different panelist and meet a bunch of geniuses and weirdos you're gonna love. Today my co-host is comedian, beloved Wait Wait panelist, and someone who I once dreamed I shared custody of my dog with. It's Adam Burt. Hi Adam.
4: Hi Emma.
1: So, Adam... It's spring break season, and this week we came across a story that made me feel great about spending my spring break at my parents' house. Because get this, according to some scientists, spring break killed all the dinosaurs. Hmm. Yeah, sounds weird. Let me explain. We finally know the answer to the question we have all wanted to know. What season did the dinosaurs get wiped out? Well, Adam, they died in spring. Okay, so everyone knows that millions of years ago, about 66 million years ago for being precise, a giant asteroid came down from space and hit the Earth, and then bam, no more dinosaurs. But for a long time, the question was, why did smaller reptiles, mammals, and birds survive the asteroid initial impact while the dinosaurs didn't, right? Well, after analyzing a bunch of crusty bones and science things, I don't know how it works, scientists have finally figured out that the answer has to do with seasons. The timing of the Yucatan impact during a particular sensitive stage of biological life cycles will help to explain why some organisms, such as
2: most dinosaurs, died out
1: while others survived. Crazy. Apparently, the asteroid hit in the beginning of spring for the Northern Hemisphere, which, as we all know from the movie Bambi, is a time where many animals are mostly staying inside taking care of their babies getting out of the long animal nap of hibernation. And it turns out, it was those animals that stayed inside who actually ended up surviving the big impact. On the other hand, since dinosaurs were the more extroverted and outdoorsy species, they ended up being more disproportionately wiped out. Okay, So basically, they were the frat brothers raging out on spring break, and the asteroid was the food poisoning that knocked them all out in Cabo. (laughs) And Adam, now we know that dinosaurs were in the middle of spring break when they died. Can you imagine what that would have been like?
4: Yeah, well, I feel bad for the uh, dinosaurs that were working on their summer bodies, you know, that were just finally getting in shape. Dinosaur Spring Break, if that's not a Jimmy Buffett song, it's got to be on his next album, I think.
5: Dinosaur Spring Break Pterodactyl T-Rex
2: and they're sharing a cake
1: I just love the image of like dinosaurs holding like like stupid tiny little drinks with the little umbrellas you know and they're in their stupid little hands <laughs> watching like a, a meteor come down and they are like oh what's that
4: well you're well again if these are frat brother di- dinosaurs you've got a very sophisticated version of wouldn't they they all be just chugging uh tall
1: boys (laughs) yeah they all have like those beer hats on you know uh
4: tyrannosaurus rex needs the beer hat because it's obviously it's tiny Tiny arms arms. yeah
1: yeah adam do you have any spring break stories
4: um yeah i went to university in a place called sheffield so um our spring break was when um someone would step away from the electric space heater and you got to (laughs) huddle around it for four minutes (laughs)
1: I'm trying to imagine the moment that, like, the animals came out of their homes, and then they're like, what the hell? Because everything's different, you know? What do you think that moment was like?
4: Well, do you ever have, like, a high school bully?
1: Oh, yeah, sure.
4: So it's kind of like, it must have been realizing that your high school bully finally got sent to reform school, you know? Because there's all these jerks been picking on these guys for, like, several million years Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you know they crawl out it's like I think those those jerks with the big teeth are gone but you don't like they don't quite trust it you know what I mean yeah you think there was like a big mammal party
1: I think so but I think it would have been very short-lived because they would have stepped out and I think first they would have noticed no more dinosaurs great and then they would have noticed nuclear winter oh no It's a kind of a double-edged sword.
4: <laughs> yeah, but they're the they're you know the mammals are the ones with fur and stuff, so they're the ones they're prepped for nuclear winter. The, True. The mammals are essentially the Midwesterners of the entire <laughs> globe at that point. It's like yeah, put on a jacket. Three
1: yeah, 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 blind absolutely. I don't. if the world was ending, right, and you got to leave, who and what would you bring with you to start a new civilization? Slumber party question?
4: You'd want to think outside the box, wouldn't you? Would you? I don't know. Maybe jugglers have some really good ideas. You know what I mean? Like someone that, someone we haven't sort of uh, pegged to be the bedrock <laughs> of society for a while.
1: That would be a whimsical as hell society. I think that would be amazing
4: you're
5: starting a new civilization, it's probably good to have people more coordinated and aware of where their body is placed in space.
1: Will you introduce yourself to us?
5: My name is Sam Malcolm. I'm a professional comedian and juggler.
1: So, Sam, we've heard that you are one of the best jugglers in the world, and you've performed internationally, you have multiple awards, and, I mean, how did you even get interested in juggling in the first place?
5: I grew up on a reservation in Nevada, and there's not a lot to do out there. Like you're kind of isolated in a lot of ways. And when I was in high school, I had an interest in uh, spinning poi. Like I would spin glow sticks on shoestrings. And then I met a juggler in the, the small town near the reservation where I lived. So the town where I went to school and stuff. And this guy is juggling five flaming torches. And it's at a Sonic drive-in, like yeah. the, um, the fast food restaurant. So I run across the street and I go, oh my God, that is so cool. I would love to like work with you or learn or something. He teaches me how to juggle. And I was like, this is, this is so much fun. I just really love this.
1: We were talking about who we would want to build a new civilization with, right? So what do you think like a space colony of only jugglers would look like? Do you think it would be functional?
5: Uh, I think it would be functional. A lot of the people attracted to juggling are more engineering types. And then I'm thinking about like the people that you see at juggling conventions and the kind of archetypes for that. And there's a lot of tie-dye and cargo shorts of course we definitely have like a culture that would start from that in a a society that's all jugglers right it sounds
1: like a, a lot of juggling is like problem solving how do you think jugglers would approach problem solving in this new moon society
5: people would probably find the most complicated way to solve the problem. Because juggling is a problem that humans create for themselves Mm -hmm. to then solve over and over. So if you used that mindset and applied it to a society, Mm -hmm. you'd have things like, well... You know, we could build a dam, and this would make sense, but you know what would look really cool? (laughs) Yeah. What if we built the dam like this? And it's like, well, that might not be the most efficient way. And it's like, right, but it's a really fun problem to solve.
1: (laughs) Speaking of fun, you're one of the best jugglers in the world, so we want to play a game with you called Will It Juggle? (laughs) So we're going to tell you some stuff, and you tell us if you could juggle it. Make sense? All right. Yeah, okay. I think I
5: could follow it.
1: Hell yeah, let's do it. Two chairs and a suitcase. Will it juggle? Absolutely. Good answer. Three raw chickens. Will it juggle?
5: Absolutely, they will juggle. Uh, wash your hands afterwards.
1: Okay, done. Three globs of raw muffin dough. Blueberry flavored. Will it juggle?
5: Ooh. Ah. Uh, what's the consistency of this blueberry dough?
1: Uh. Moist, but still uh, malleable.
5: Yeah. I would. I would definitely juggle. If you could make it into a shape and hold it, it should juggle.
1: Yes. Awesome. Okay. A wolf, a cabbage, and a sheep. But the wolf and the sheep can't be in the air at the same time, and the sheep and the cabbage can never be alone together. Okay. Will it juggle?
5: Uh. Yeah. You would do a pattern where you'd separate them all out. You do a like a four-two-three is what it would be called. Oh my. Yeah. You just try to keep them spacious separated from each other. <laughs>
1: Great. Okay, you're a single parent with 3 kids who all play intramural sports. You want to date again. Will it juggle?
5: <sighs> I mean, with a lot of emotional work, I think it could. Um, and yeah. it might be that, you know, you you need to go to a juggling festival to meet somebody.
1: <laughs> well, that's amazing. It sounds like everything can be juggled. So thank you so much, Sam.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And and I agree. I think everything can be juggled. You just have to be a little bit more creative on how you solve the problem, right?
1: Well, do you want to join our new colony, Sam? I think you make a great addition.
5: I would love to. I would
2: love to.
1: Great. I'll send you an Evite in your email.
2: <laughs> this message comes from Apple Card.
1: What's a way that you would want the world to end? Out be so awesome, you wouldn't mind.
4: Um, I, I grew up listening to heavy metal a mm-hmm. lot, and um, I think if all the heavy metal videos from the '80s uh, came true. And then they play like a guitar riff and then...
1: Yeah, uh, like Mad Max Fury Road style. Yeah, yeah. And everyone, yeah. Like,
4: they look at you and all of a sudden you've got cool clothes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've I've been to heavy metal concerts that felt like the end of the world.
1: I kind of have the opposite thought. Like I think that if the world ended in a really goofy way, I would just be too... I would be too tickled to be mad, you know? Like if like... The syrup, the largest syrup factory, like broke, and the dams broke, and like the whole world was flooded in like pancake syrup. I, it will be too hilarious for me to be mad about it, you know.
4: Now, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to the Massachusetts syrup flood, which is, is real? A, a real thing. Fi- what well, did you not know about no. this? No, did that's I just what you
1: just a A natural disaster? <laughs>
4: yeah, I think I think it was I think it was at the turn of the century, the late nineteenth, early twentieth century. <laughs> there was a there was a huge syrup. It sounds like I'm making it up. Yeah, that it up. This so big. <laughs> I'm not having a stroke. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there was a a giant syrup repository where all the syrup barons would keep their... I think it was molasses. Okay. And I I think it was in Boston.
1: We fact-checked this, and Adam was right. This happened. It was called the Boston Molasses Disaster, and it happened in 1919. 2.3 million gallons of molasses burst from storage tanks and devastated the area. People say you could smell it on hot days for years after... Wait to know a super fun history fact adam
4: emma if you happen to talk to a paleontologist mm-hmm. um i, I want to know apparently they don't know whether there was more oxygen back when dinosaurs alive so, so some people think there was more oxygen some people think there was less oxygen and i just want to know if dinosaurs if jurassic park was real would they uh-huh. all be a- asthmatics because i think that would be funny
3: Okay. Yes, that's a good question. I'll definitely write it down. So, like, you know, like, teachers are supposed to say, like, there's no stupid questions. But uh, that was a stupid question. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) My name is Jingmay O'Connor. And I am the Associate Curator of Fossil Reptiles at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. What do you think is the stereotype of a paleontologist? An old white guy wearing khaki or, you know, like some kind of nerdy button-up shirt, -shirt, t-shirt, button-up t-shirts, you know what I mean? That's like, that's what paleontologists wear, yeah. And uh, honestly, the stereotype, it holds pretty true. (laughs) (laughs) One of the reasons I was able to break that mold is because I went to China, where they... Do not care at all what I did or what I looked like. They only cared about bottom line productivity. So, like, I got my lip ring in grad school and I was like, oh, I'm always gonna, I'm gonna take it out when I graduate and get a job. And then I showed up in China and I'm like, nobody cares. Like, you know, (laughs) so I just kept it. Were you a dinosaur kid growing up? (sighs) No. (laughs) Uh, But I'm like literally the only paleontologist who was not a dinosaur kid growing up. Oh my God. (laughs) Literally all of them. Our dinosaur kids. Like, they're all like, here's a picture of me holding a dinosaur at the age of three or five. And so I've (laughs) actually been joking that I need to like Photoshop a picture of myself with a dinosaur toy and be like, oh, (laughs) look, here's me caring about dinosaurs not. (laughs) On your website, you call yourself the punk rock paleontologist. Some reporter gave me that nickname because I named a species after Greg Graffin, who's the lead singer of Bad Religion. (laughs) If I could, I would name them all after Keanu Reeves. I'm kidding, sort of. (laughs) Revasaurus. Let me throw this at you, okay?
1: I have a theory that if I were to fight a T-Rex and I had a switchblade and a can of mace, I would win in a fight. As a scientist, do you think I
3: could do it? Nope. Yeah. No, like, you would need, like, if a switchblade is not big enough, you need a much bigger blade, like maybe a bowie knife, even better, like a machete, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the mace would help because t Rex has really, really good vision, so it definitely would have, like, relied on its vision in order to, like, track you as, yeah. as its prey. But also, it's really big, so trying to spray it in the eyes it would be really difficult, like, unless you were, like, hiding in a tree and waiting for it to go by and, like, ah, and sprayed him. <laughs> It kind
1: of sounds like you've thought about this a lot, no?
3: No, no I swear, I'm not one of those t yeah. nerds. I'm kidding. But I literally have not thought about it, but it's like, no, no, that wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, I'm going to write that down in my journal. So we have a question from our friend Burke, and we'd love your help to help us get us an answer. First of all, do you know if there was more oxygen or
3: less oxygen in the atmosphere when the dinosaurs were alive? Actually, there's more oxygen now than there was during the age of the dinosaurs but oxygen levels are always fluctuating so for yeah. example like 300 million years ago before the dinosaurs there was actually yeah. way more oxygen than there is now but during the age of the dinosaurs there was less
1: seeing that there was less than now comparatively if there were to be a Jurassic Park situation today would those dinosaurs have asthma
3: so, asthma is uh, like just a constriction of your airways. It has nothing to do with oxygen levels. It just means okay. that your throat's all like clenched together and you can't actually breathe in air, period. And actually, I looked it up because I was like, do dinosaurs get asthma? And by do dinosaurs, I mean, do birds get asthma? And right. I did find evidence that there is like some asthmatic thing that affects at least this one species of parrots. It doesn't seem to be very widespread, though. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I think dinosaurs would be fine with the higher oxygen levels. They'd probably like it even better. It'd probably be pretty dangerous for us. Yeah. I mean, paleontologists work on all sorts of crazy shit, like dinosaur farts and dinosaur <laughs> poop, but I have never heard of anybody studying dinosaur asthma.
1: Hey, you could be the first! Ah. Science is amazing. And you're amazing, so thank you so much for talking to us about this stuff. I learned so much.
3: Yeah, no No problem. Thank you so much for having me.
4: Hello? Hi, Emma. Hi, Emma. How are you? Can
1: you hear me? Oh, awesome. Good. I'm just going to let you know that we talked to a paleontologist about your question, and it turns out there was more oxygen now than there was in dino times. So that's cool.
4: Oh, okay. So they Yeah, so they wouldn't be short of breath. They would be uh, yeah. uh, super, super b- breathy, cool. bre- breathy.
1: So here's what I found out. Oxygen actually has nothing to do with asthma levels. So she was, uh, she was surprised that you, that was your question. And we were both kind of wondering what made you think of this question?
4: Um, well, I mean, apparently it's because I'm an idiot, I guess. It's nice to be told <laughs> you're an idiot by an expert. That's nice.
1: No, she didn't say idiot. She just said it was kind of silly. <laughs> were,
4: were you watching like, yeah. Jurassic
1: Park during like, I wonder if they have asthma?
4: No, I think I just read a thing one time about how the oxygen levels were different i don't know i just i just thought the, i just thought the sight of you know uh yeah. with an inhaler would be with funny, bronchitis I,
1: sure also adam yeah. looked up your molasses fact and it's true that happened so congrats yeah
4: okay so one out of two ain't bad
1: well thank you adam i'll let you go now
4: take care emma
1: <laughs> bye bye here's my favorite part of the podcast the credits this show is brought to you by Wait Wait Don't Tell Me. This episode was produced by Haley Fager, Zola Ray, Lillian King, Nancy Sechow, and Charles Entertainment Chiefs. Our supervising producer is Jennifer Mills, and our malevolent overlord is Mike Danforth. And thank you, Mike, for sharing your dulcet tones with us this week. You sing like an angel. Also, remember that time you fell on the ice? Once again, Lorna White, you are the best in the world at making our voices sound good. Thank you. Thanks to Ars Technica for their reporting in that clip you heard about when the dinosaurs died. R.I.P. Dinosaurs. Thanks to Sam Malcolm for talking us through the juggles' struggle. Can I turn these
5: off, the recorders?
1: Find out more information on him and his shows at sammalcolm.com. That's S-A-M-M-A-L-C-O-L-M.com. Founder jigme O'Connor, thank you for talking to us about your work and answering Adam's question and showing us your cool tattoos. I have a coelacanth and I have a plesiosaur. Visit Dr. O'Connor at paleontologista.com and paleontologista on Instagram and Twitter. That's P-A-L-E-O-N-T-O-L-O-G-I-S-T-A. Thank you to my co-host, comedian, wit panelist, and
4: buddy. Hi, this is Adam Burke.
1: Adam Burke.
4: I can't come to the phone right now. You
1: can see Adam Burke in person at the Laugh Tap in Milwaukee.
4: Because I'm on my other phone.
1: On March 18th and
4: 19th. If I'm not on my other phone, I'm on my tablet. And if I'm not on my tablet, I'm probably on my computer.
1: I'm Emma Choi, and you can find me at Wait Wait NPR and at the Taqueria, ordering a side of rice and a side of chicken separately because that's how I like it, okay? I'm done. This is NPR.
4: Or I might be on my e-reader. Anyway, leave a message, and once I'm off all those other devices, I
0: might check this phone. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off.